Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. Hello, everybody. People in the back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Without further ado. Without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm rolling. We're, we're gonna get started. Welcome to the Inner Loop Radio. I'm Rachel Kuntz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and check out our website at theinnerlooplit.org. For any new listeners out there here on the Inner Loop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or crap, publishing or editing, how to make a living, or just how we all sit down each day in front of an empty page. Maybe with crayons. Ooh, teaser. teaser. <laughs> we invite friends and local writers onto the show to talk about their writing journey and what inspires them or to delve deeper into craft. On today's show, we want to talk about researching your life, why research is important in telling your personal stories and how it enriches those stories. I don't know why, Court, <laughs> but I just get the feeling like you're going to have a lot to say about this subject. Yeah, I was pretty excited. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Um, so tell me your thoughts. What's your thoughts? Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> I am a researcher by nature in so many different mm-hmm. facets of my life. Um, I think, I think it stems from curiosity, which is what I think a lot of writers motivation All stems writers. from, right? Yeah. Um, but at this stage in the game, it's also kind of a perfect blend of my professional life or the mm-hmm. primary part of my professional life these days as a scientific researcher. So I'm just saying on behalf of all of our listeners out there, like when is the hybrid dog memoir heart yeah. situation book coming out? Um, I would like to know as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that that something is going to happen along those lines but yes so scientific life but also you know I was trained as a historian and so you always have this kind of like threads that you need to follow Mm -hmm. and sometimes sometimes for me the hardest part is not going down another rabbit hole in the research knowing when to stop researching I know I feel like we've talked about this subject on on the show before and I feel like that always comes up yeah how do you know when to stop? Yeah. How do you know how deep to go? Because honestly, like you could research forever. I just want to back up and say, like, <laughs> you know, we're not just talking about research and nonfiction in general, no, no. because obviously that's relevant. But I wanted to talk about specifically like researching your for life, a novel, your life. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, our listeners out there might not immediately think research when they say I'm going to write about my life because what do you know more than your own freaking life like I don't need to freaking research this but I think there's something important about putting your story in a wider context Context. absolutely and like you know all writing is trying to find the universal in the particular Um, but part of that is kind of like putting it in context for the reader and allowing them to uh, connect not just on the human level, but sometimes you just need little like road signs along the way that say like, 
hey, you know that thing you were experiencing at this time, like say 9-11 or other giant cultural like flagstones, touchstones, that's what I'm looking for. This is what was happening to me while you while we were collectively experiencing this and kind of giving people like little road signs. Well, right, because that's how we generate those connections with people who otherwise have disparate lives. Right. But back to your point, too, it's like, yeah, we think we know our own lives really well, but our own lives are so influenced by our parents' lives, for example, Mm. or the towns where we grew up. And we don't know the history, the complete histories of those. We weren't experiencing them. So, yeah, finding out, you know, what those stories are inform our own stories, whether we're going to write about them or not. I think having that self-awareness is helpful as a writer, period, because Mm -hmm. then you can empathize with other, whether it's characters you're creating Mm -hmm. or other people's stories you're telling, like knowing what are the things that we need to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I'm taking a screenwriting course. Oh, that's right. Aaron Aaron Sorkin's masterclass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How's that going? Um, It's interesting. It's fun. You know, I really like hearing his perspective and it's very clearly his perspective because his writing is so different than ever, like pretty much every other screenwriter's like way of writing. He writes super fast, quippy dialogue and and it's very dialogue heavy. Um, But it was interesting. He was like, saying he didn't really believe in character sketches because you're just writing like if it's not going to end up in the screenplay you're just wasting your time and sp- like spinning your wheels <laughs> oh i don't know how i feel about that <laughs> um Ooh. yeah i know i was like this is controversial um, but he was like basically arguing for not like going down this rabbit hole of like deciding what your character's favorite color is i mean and context of our upcoming guests that might be relevant um but like you know coming up with all these like details that are never going to make it into the script and he was kind of saying he doesn't like go and do character sketches because the story is what influences who the character is Is, sure I Um, I, I, i can get that so Aaron Sorkin versus Courtney Sexton, go. <laughs> well, no, what I was going to say before is I think that one way to avoid the rabbit hole is to start first with a frame, right? Mm. Like give yourself a structure and constraints and say like, this is the type of person I'm writing about. This is the type of place I need them to be in this and then kind of find what are examples of those that would be good places to start my research and kind of ground me a little bit mm-hmm. and give yourself freedom and flexibility to explore them, but then know that you also have that scaffolding to lean back on and say, wait, am I sticking to mm-hmm. what that thought process was? And for me, that's what's stopping the book from coming as yet. <laughs> I haven't figured out that scaffolding. Mm, so but sometimes you just have to dive in and write. Sure, 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 <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sure, sure. I also feel like I should clarify on behalf of Aaron Sorkin, because he really needs me on his team, <laughs> that he's actually a deep, deep researcher. I'm of, sure. Of I'm, like the yeah. wider context and also deep, deep details about, you know, he loves to include very like industry specific right. jargon those, to well, make the char- character sound really smart. Well, that and also I feel like there's those little, you know, Easter eggs for the one person who is going to know <laughs> <laughs> what he's talking about. Right. Yeah. And that's like the nerd in us loves that. Yeah. The nerd in all of all us. Of us. <laughs> that's another one of those like connecting points, those touchstones. So Yeah. And and finally, I just want to say, like, I, I feel like you can't underestimate how much like the story of the world influences right. your personal story. So 
really integral in telling your personal story is understanding the Absolutely. wider context that you were living in. And I think that gets lost a lot, especially in this day and age. Well, it's really easy to just skip that part because it's right. too much work. And because everyone is super important. Everybody's super important. Yeah. I actually believe that. <laughs> <laughs> another another anyway, discussion for another day. Uh, let's get more on this subject with someone whose book really exemplifies what we're discussing. Up next, we'll hear from this month's Author's Corner Spotlight. Let's gather. <laughs> gather. Gather, please. Um, you can gather in. Gather around, gather around for the second half. And we're going to get started. We're going to get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. Not teasing you this time. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We've been discussing the importance of research and telling a personal story, and now we'd like to welcome John Krupp, author of Color Capital of the World, Growing Up with the Legacy of a Crayon Company from University of Akron Press, and our June Author's Corner Spotlight. Welcome, John. Thank you, Courtney, and thank you, Rachel. I want to say, first of all, I am a huge fan of the Interloop. Thank you. And you all have, uh, I've been following you for years, and I think you do an amazing you fill an amazing cultural service to the D.C. area. So I've been going to your events and, and enjoy them immensely. Thank you. you it's well, so nice to hear. We're super excited to have people like you who've been long-time, long-time interloopers. So I am really excited about exploring this topic with you, but I thought we'd do things a little differently this time mm -hmm. and maybe have you read a little something from your book so we can have it in our minds as we talk about it. Yeah. I like it. Great. I'd, I'd be happy to start. And what I'm going to read from is really the very first two pages of the book. And um, this is kind of a surprise, but every chapter is named after a color. Mm -hmm. so, crayons color. <laughs> so the very first chapter, chapter one, is called Pink Piano. And I'm going to read uh, the first two pages. Nice. Almost everyone is a snob about something wine, food, music, or any of the other finer things in life. Me, at the age of five, I was a snob about crayons. I judged the crayons of those few classmates who didn't buy the hometown brand American crayons and thought to myself, those Biddy and Smith Crayola crayons aren't any good. American crayons were the crayons we had at home, at school, and they were the crayons that were made in the factory down the street, a factory built by my great-grandfather and great-uncles. From my earliest memories, crayons were plentiful in our house. My older sister, Anne, and I had the basic eight-pack boxes, plus wide 16-packs and the 24-packs, both at home and at our desks at school. The largest boxes, with 80 crayons, came with a built-in sharpener and a slanted lid that flipped back to display crayons tightly packed like spectators on ascending rows of bleachers. After a few sessions of coloring, the crayons' neat points were worn down to stubby ends, and some paper wrappers had peeled away, leaving naked, waxy cylinders of color. The well-ordered arrangement became a chaotic, incomplete spectrum. 
Ann and I had such an excess of crayons that my father would collect them in plastic buckets and store them in our unfinished basement along with a large spool of blank newsprint hung under the stairs. We would unspool a few feet of newsprint at a time, tear off the sheet in ragged edges and draw like mad artists on the concrete floor. Anne selected a lot of blue and turquoise, drawing dolphins and flying blue whales and sea creatures with long curly Q whiskers. She used black to outline the hulls and smokestacks of the great ocean liners of the early 20th century. She added wings to the Titanic and the Olympic and the Normandy and showed them flying through the clouds with flying whales. For the long circuitous race courses that I drew for my dinkies, I needed brown and green to fill in trees. When I finished drawing, I would stage races between my steel matchbox cars with racetracks running the length of the newsprint. We never cleaned up, leaving the house, leaving loose crayons strewn about and giant wads of crumpled newsprint littering the floor. Sometimes Anne would tape her works to the bare cylinder block walls, recalling the prehistoric murals of the caves of Lascaux, France. One of my earliest memories was this smell and taste of crayons. After long sessions of coloring, I stuck my face into the bucket of crayons and inhaled the waxy crayon smell to get a crayon high. I drew blue racing stripes on my arms or gashing red wounds on my face. I plunged my hands in the bucket past my wrists and agitated the crayons, pulling up fistfuls and letting them spill through my fingers like a mad miser with gold coins. The flakes wedged under my fingernails and marked my hands and wrists with random colors making it look like I had some strange skin disease. I unwrapped my favorite colors, blue and green, and bit into each, but both had the same waxy taste. The crayons in the buckets bore my teeth marks. One night after dinner, when Anne and I were eight and six, my mother said we could draw with our crayons on the dining room walls. The, rooms were large enough, the room was large enough to hold a dining room table that seated 12. I can't remember what I drew, but I drew with gusto. Anne drew wild, imaginative animals and more ocean liners. My parents joined in, recreating familiar doodles from their childhood. Our dining room was illustrated by the entire family, the walls embedded with the American crayon colors. The next week, the drawings were papered over forever, sealed into the walls of the house. We'll stop there. Oh, I love, I love those descriptions and the exploration of color right away, uh, making me really excited about our game later. <laughs> the imagery is just so strong. Like, I'm with you. I, like, smell them. I go right back there. I can remember the summertime and, like, crayons melting in the heat in the car, mm -hmm. you know, and then you'd find, like, a mass of them. Yeah. Yeah, that's not just a distant memory for me anymore. Right, that's right. No, it's funny you mention it. I actually brought a few crayons over today with me, and it was a little warm outside, and I was getting worried, like, oh. is that heat going to melt those crayons? But what you've hit on is, I mean, one of the universals that I, I, I found in researching the book is 
even more so than the colors, it was the smell. Like when mm-hmm. I talked to people, you know, they it opening that box of crayons took them back to their very first day of school, for mm-hmm. example, having that, that fresh pack of crayons. It is such a distinct smell. Totally. So I'm I'm very interested in the inspiration for this book. I uh I I know that section was very evocative, very memory based. Uh and there are so many different ways that you can approach a work of nonfiction, whether it be the essay form where you really meditate an, on an idea, the memoir in which you really rely on experience, or if nonfiction takes a more historical bent that relies heavily on research. But John, your book seems to incorporate all of these, uh, weaving together regional history with familial history and genealogy, with personal experience and memory. So I'm just curious about um, what, first of all, what inspired you to write the book? Because as we all know, it's very difficult to write a book. So the inspiration for it has to yeah. be very strong. And then how you decided to write it the way that you did. Why did you choose to incorporate all these different styles? You've, you've actually summed up. I mean, I, I did deliberately try to draw from many different sources. And uh, the inspiration was, it was partly from personal loss. I had lost uh, two members of my family, my, my mother and my sister, who we talk about in the opening part of that book, mm. in, in a very short period of time. Mm. And at the same time, I was sitting at home reading from the hometown paper online that they were ready to knock down and demolish the entire crayon factory that had stood that is the subject of the book. Mm -hmm. And so with those two things coming together, I felt, um, I almost felt like I had a duty Mm -hmm. to tell some stories. I, I, they say you read a, you read a library before you can really write a book. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading one of these other Rust Belt memoirs that talked about in Youngstown, there was this blast furnace called the Jenny that was mm-hmm. basically the symbol of that steelmaking town. And the Jenny was the symbol of all of these memories for the community. And when it was knocked down, a lot of that memory was, was, mm. was sort of evaporating right you know, in their landscape there. Yeah. And so I felt, well, they're going to knock this crayon factory down. I really want to tell this story. So that was one of the big motivating factors and i can i can certainly go down any path you want about the different sources uh, <laughs> of that i use but i was i was very grateful that the university of akron uh took a chance on this book because being an academic press i didn't know how mm-hmm. much leeway i would have to kind of delve into the more creative sure. introspective parts of it but they they were very they were very disciplined in terms of, yes, I had to document sources and I had to mm-hmm. use the Chicago my yeah, oh, yeah. style to, for all the footnotes. I mean, <laughs> so they were, they was very rigorous from that standpoint. Mm. Um, and there were, the, one of the challenges was I didn't have a lot of uh, living members of the family mm. left to mm-hmm. talk about. So I met a very good archivist mm-hmm. who uh, was at the Sandusky Library. And I want to say, if you're doing a book, uh, of place on a where you say you grew up or a place that's important to you be kind to your archivist because they're <laughs> going to find and help you out an awful lot they're going to find a lot of good facts for you i want to dig into uh, to the driving force behind the book i mean clearly the history of the crayon had a big effect on your family and and your town but i want to know 
how it speaks to you personally. Mm -hmm. I see you get so excited about crayons and talking about color. And you've brought this amazing collection of beautiful artifacts. Yeah, crayon boxes. Um, So what about the crayon uh, felt integral to you and your story? I, I guess I would go back to the very beginning and say, be careful about the stories you tell your children. <laughs> the, the, the stories I was, the, the stories that I'm drawing from were told to me. They're some of my earliest memories. Mm-hmm. I, I remember hearing them. You know, I had a, a grandmother who was in the, one of these crayon families. We would go to her, her house, you know, Sunday afternoons for dinner and she would tell these stories mm. as would my mother. And, you know, when you're, when you're a little kid, these things embed on your psyche, like, you know, a, a chick in getting, you know, Definitely. imprinting on yeah. its, its mother. Yeah. So I carried those stories with me for decades. Mm. And I, in the book, I sort of, you know, at, at a certain point, I kind of give up on this thinking there's, there's nothing left for me here. I, I want to try to get away from this and make my own life. I come down to Washington, but. Um, when I had those, those family losses, it really rekindled Mm. those stories. So the stories were the starting point. And in terms of the crayons, um, they, they sort of, they represent, um, a repository of happiness Mm. for me. You know, it's, I, I remember being down in the basement you know, cinder block walls, concrete floor, and you're just drawing like mm-hmm. crazy. <laughs> you're losing yourself in that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think I just, I always wanted to carry that that piece of me along and finally be able to, to tell it. Um, mm-hmm. I think then the last piece, the last thing I'll sort of mention is also I want to pass down these stories as well mm-hmm. to my daughter and mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. generations may come after. So I'm hoping I'm not, dodging your question too not much. at all no it's, it's beautiful it's keeping keeping yourself alive right in in a through it's not an artifact it's a, i like that repository i think is a really cool way to look at it it's also these in in terms of the memories that imprint on your mind right um that image that you read from of getting the chance to color on the walls, you know, that wouldn't have been allowed any other time yeah. except for before painting I thought them. my parents had lost their <laughs> minds. Lost it's it. like, we're what? We're going to color on the walls? Yeah. <laughs> I remember very distinctly growing up, we had just moved into the house that I eventually spent all of my childhood in. And I think it was before we had refinished the floors or something like that. We had this massive water fight that carried from the outside inside to eventually there were just buckets of water flying around the halls. And it's like, that would never ever stand any other time. So like, I think those things that can draw you to those moments that seemed so happy and lovely and, you know, carefree during your childhood are so important. And and maybe the other thing I want to come back to is, I mean, there were multiple sources. It was, I was lucky to have a lot of artifacts that came down from the family, the records about the company, mm. um, and then be able to reach out. I actually used social media for some of my mm. research. Oh, cool. There, there were some very active local groups. If you say, "Hey, does anybody have a story about the old crayon mm-hmm. factory?" People were, they were coming out of the woodwork mm. to, to share stories, and so I, I mined some of that. And then the, another source I would mention is just the artifacts themselves. I, mm. I, I love a good 
I'm, I'm pointing to my crayons for, yeah. for those for those <laughs> listeners. But I mean, I look a, 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 a box of crayons that I, I would buy on eBay that had some little boy's name, name written yeah. on the side. Mm. And I'm thinking, there's a whole life that was lived yeah. with that box of crayons and the the the, the pictures they must have drawn that that a, a loving mother might have put up on a refrigerator years ago. Mm. There's a lot that just kind of flows out of that that mm-hmm. artist. Yeah, I, I really love that. I feel like I think about a lot the stories that shape us, the stories that are told from generation yeah. to generation and what a big effect that has on us. And then I also love the extension of that in this particular mm-hmm. story of like, we all have a relationship to crayons. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like every single day my daughter comes home and wants to draw without fail and i'm like don't you want to play with any other toys no, <laughs> no. i just want to make an art project and draw and it feels like you know such an important part of all of our lives even if we lose it later in life well and as you said john like going back to the caves at let go right like some of the things that we find most important in our culture like our cultural history where like when did we start drawing when did mm. we start using pigments when like why is that so important to us mm-hmm. yeah and it just also speaks to this idea of your personal stories in the wider totally. context and how it all kind of mm-hmm. we're all connected. And what what I was hoping was part of the appeal of this book was I'd like to think everybody is like your daughter. They all start out with that little creative spark and they all want to draw with crayons. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was hoping would be part of the appeal mm-hmm. is to take everybody back to that the inner child or whatever you want to call it. Uh, mm. when they were first creating without any kind of constraints. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love that. And with that in mind, I feel like I have to ask for all the listeners yeah. out there who haven't read your book yet, what is your favorite color? So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I actually open up the introduction um, halfway through. I say, you know, asking somebody their favorite color is one of the most sort of vanilla questions you can is is, a, is an is an icebreaker, uh, but I mean that in a nice way. Is an icebreaker like if you don't know somebody at a party? Yeah, it's very non-controversial. So, and, and the, the very, so the very last line of the book um, is, I'm going to answer your question with the last line of the book. Love it. Okay. One other thing that I learned is my favorite color is blue. Aww. So, um, and. If you remember in the very beginning, I my favorites were green and blue, mm-hmm. and I had to do the taste test to see did one taste different than the other. But, uh, <laughs> and what was so, the do they do they taste different? They both tasted like wax. Yeah. Uh, so, so thankfully, you know, they were from the very beginning. They when they first hit on the formula for making crayons in 1902, they they started with them being non toxic mm-hmm. even then. Mm. So, thank but, goodness. Because we all ate them, didn't we? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> At least I, I mean, them a little bit. <laughs> I, I learned so much about um, just just colors and the naming convention of mm. colors. Doing the book, simple things you wouldn't think about, like American crayon was very very literal in naming mm. the colors. It was blue or blue violet or mm-hmm. green or red orange. Crayola was much more poetic. Oh you yeah, know, sunflower. You know, I, I, Blue or, or mm-hmm. you know, mushroom spore. Uh, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. For, I was drawing a blank yes. there, but they, no, they, no like I mean, they're, they're of, much yeah. more, they're much more poetic in, in, in naming. Oh so there God. was even a difference in how the, the, the companies approached funny. the colors. 
Oh, I do love the colors, names of colors. Yes. So I think about it with nail polish too. Yeah. Well, this has been uh, such an amazing discussion. Thank you so much, John, for joining us and sharing your book with us. Uh, And you can find more about John, read more articles and interviews, and buy his book, Color Capital of the World, Growing Up with the Legacy of a Crayon Company, on our website, theinnerlooplit.org slash authors corner. But we're not going to let John go just yet. Up next, I'm so excited. We're going to free associate with color. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We turn now to a little free association game. You guys are going to love this. I've never seen anybody so excited about one of my <laughs> games. Um, it's all about color. Um, and I was doing research for this game and I read about uh, something called synesthesia. Yeah. I know about this. I'm yeah. seeing lots so of nods. Um, it's basically where uh, the sensation of one sense triggers the sensation of another sense. So, for example, um, if you hear a certain sound, you might see a color or mm-hmm. vice versa. Um, so I want you both to free associate uh, these different uh, senses with colors. Okay. Okay. I'm going to name some colors and you'll tell me what you could think of. All right. Okay. So now I want to know what sound does this color remind you of? Okay. Okay. Chartreuse. Uh, a slow electric current. Ooh. Um, a velvet upholstered chair. <laughs> Where it went. <laughs> Did you have like a chartreuse colored chair in your childhood or something? <laughs> My my grandmother lived in one of the early like developments in the like the fifties sixties and everything was like orange and green and pink. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Um, okay, here's the next one. Ready? What sound do you think of? Periwinkle. See, it's like a swallow or a mm. bird making a, a, a bird sitting in a tree. Mm, chirping or just chirping very wrinkled just like it, it, it's a small bird mm. not making it's a very high noise oh love it mm. i definitely also went the nature route there's something about it's like kind of calming and small but i if an if a if a flower unfurling had a sound <laughs> it'd be very wiggle i love that no. <laughs> i also thought of the sound of like wind blowing yes through. wind also One little quick aside is I I knew a girl in college who had a convertible VW Bug, and she called it Periwinkle. Amazing. I I wasn't going to go there. That's okay. (laughs) I named my cars, too. (laughs) All right. One more for sound. Ready? Cobalt. Well, I think of like a 
maybe this is not much of a stretch, but just like hard, shiny mm-hmm. plate of steel. I was just thinking yeah. the same you thing. Know. I thought of like drums, but mostly I think that's partially because cobalt kind of sounds like sounds a, like a drum. drum. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do smell. Okay. What color, what uh, does this color smell like or what smell does it remind you of? Ready? Scarlet. O'Hara? No. Um, <laughs> not not that kind of free not association. A <laughs> um, A smell. It's going to sound gross, I'm, but I was going to say blood. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I, I'm going to do the very obvious, which is like roses. I think of the Grateful Dead, Scarlet. Yeah, 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 for flower. sure. Nice. So. Yeah. We were very different, even though they were both obvious. Okay. <laughs> I don't like, I don't nothing? really, no, nothing's coming. Nothing. Ohio State, Scarlet and Gray. There we go. Like a, All right. How about what is Indigo. Smell? This one's harder. Courtney's like, I can't do this. What if, <laughs> what if I showed you? The no, color? no, no, no. Would it help? Oh, actually, yeah, maybe. A sea breeze, but that's not really. Mm. Most that's a smell. A lot of these for me, it's like they're like floral association, mm. right? So like, indigo is not a common flower color, though. No, but it's a happy, it's, I'm, a it happy association. Warm, I'm right? trying to think of what that would be, but something positive. Um, I like the smell of the ocean as an answer. I feel like that feels appropriate. I think that gets I'll caught up so much in like blue green, right? Like just because mm. that's how we always depict it. Mm. But yeah, All I right, like how about creativity this? there. It smells too hard for you guys. How about shape? Let's do shape. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. So what shape does this color take? And you can just show us that. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Red. Circle. Hmm. Yeah, I feel circle on that. Hmm. Uh, blue. Square. I'd go with a square. There's this famous um painter who had synesthesia, um, and he actually thought the opposite. Interesting. Yeah, he thought red was masculine and square, blue was feminine. You know, there's a lot of studies in like child development literature that get into this, like yeah. with preschoolers, like yeah. how they, yeah, like. How they associate shapes as good guys or bad guys. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it has to do with organicness of it. Like a circle is more organic, so it feels safer or mm. better. Feminine, yeah. if you will. So I'm going to volunteer something. If it's too personal, no, you can please. take it out. But my, I know about synesthesia because my wife has synesthesia. In is the, she like in, a true synesthetic? Well, in, in this way, it's that if you say a name to her, like if you say your name, <gasps> cool. she sees a color. Like, Whoa. My, my, like an aura? She sees the letters okay. and then she puts a color to that Should name. So my name is sort of a purple brown. Ah, or, so cool. or if you say like a month. Yeah. The months also like February would have a color to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. You know. I, I can I can definitely appreciate that. Like when I'm doing my calendar, right? Like the months definitely have colors that like associate but i don't have it for all things or names that's so cool that is so cool all right let's move this along to to connect Sorry. it to writing no oh, okay. i'm loving all of this i'm loving all of this okay so i'm gonna name some um famous writers and you can tell me what color they are ah okay okay but are we talking like crayola colors or american <laughs> colors uh dealer's choice okay. okay you can be very literal you can be very poetic okay you. okay um okay so what color does this writer remind you of tony morrison 
You go first. You guys are overthinking <laughs> it. I, I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say purple. Yeah, pasta. because I mean, like, how do you not say uh, like, I mean, purple? I mean, purple's kind of obvious, <laughs> but I, yeah. I was trying to be like, well, I know purple. It's hard. Yeah, James Baldwin. Um, Ooh, I get green vibes. Hmm. Maybe even chartreuse. I was thinking like a really dark red. Uh huh. Okay. I'm thinking of bluish. Mm. Don't know. All right. Mm. Sylvia Plath. Ooh, black, black, <laughs> black, all black, uh, yeah, all black all the um, time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm trying to break it. I'll, I'll go with black. Okay. How about uh, famous books? Here we go. Okay. Ready? Uh, Moby Dick. White. White. It's a great white whale. Yeah, yeah but I white. thought blue because of like the, the ocean. The ocean. Yeah. I'd have to say white is my yeah. first. For white sure. was the first one. Reaction. Okay. The Satanic Verses. Red. Yeah. Red. Is it? Okay. To the lighthouse. Oh. A golden yeah, definitely. yellow. Golden. I just think of the beam of the exactly. lighthouse. Yep. I like that. Okay. Yep. Uh finally I'm gonna read like a little section of a poem and you tell me what comes Okay. Think of, okay. Um I'm gonna start with what do we know what the poem is? Yeah. I'll, okay. Okay. Even though it might color, maybe I won't tell you. It might color our perspective. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, oh, Gordy, uh, literally, uh, but um, if I told him, would he like it? Would he like it if I told him? Would he like it? Would Napoleon? Would Napoleon? Would would he like it? If Napoleon, if I told him, if I told him, if Napoleon, would he like it? If I told him, if I told him, if Napoleon. Would he like it if Napoleon, if Napoleon, if I told him, if I told him, if Napoleon, if Napoleon, if I told him, if I told him, would he like it? Would he like it if I told him now, not now and now, now exactly as as kings, feeling full for it, exactitude as kings, so to beseech you as full as for it exactly or as kings. So you always go there. <laughs> I feel like I haven't talked about Gertrude Stein in a while, and I felt it was time to circle back. <laughs> I have two answers. Yeah. One is purple. I think purple is associated royalty. with royalty, royalty or sure. rulers. So there's kings were, were mentioned in there. Uh-huh. And then the other one is maybe a little less obvious. I think of a pastry. Napoleon, oh, uh, yeah. brown. Oh, so I think brown, like, okay. uh, but because uh-huh. so, Napoleon is just like the mantra of that. Yeah, you know, so. totally. I felt like I actually like we covered a spectrum. In no, that, you um, were like seeing all kinds of colors. Yeah, but Tell all me. like like deeper kind of earth tone, like nothing like bright and exciting, mm, but like at first tones. I was like great, but not like mossy green. It was like a green but it like went from green to blue and then into like browns and then i was seeing the purples also oh it was like kind of in that like mm. i don't know not i like it cool but not earthy. like pastel earthy, earthy i like it yeah i like it i'm into it okay here comes mm. ready okay so. what happens to a dream deferred does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a, a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? Yeah, like when you, the first one, I was like, well, like pruning, raisin like, color. I can't like get raisin out of my not, head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it pulls me in a lot of directions, yeah. but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go with the dream and with a dream, I just oh. think of a very light, gauzy yellow. Okay. Mm. 
like it. That was Langston Hughes, everyone. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. I feel like that was like a fun activity. It was. Absolutely. It was harder than I thought it would be. Yeah. And I feel, but I feel like it's nice for writers because we always have to remind ourselves to use all five senses yeah. when we're writing. And so it's nice to be able to free associate between senses. Absolutely. Well, uh, John, thank you so much for joining yeah. us and for playing our little game with us. It was a pleasure having you. Oh, this was a lot of fun and probably the most fun I'll have all day. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's our show. We'll be back next Monday with our Just Checking In series where we give our writer friends a call to hear how their writing lives are going. And if you want to learn more about The Inner Loop and all of our programming, visit us at theinnerlooplit.org where you can also donate to support us and local literature. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Inner Loop Lit. Today's episode was produced by me, Rachel Kuntz. Our theme music is by Andrew Logan, and our technical advisor is James Skinner. Thanks again to John Krupp for joining us on the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, try a color by number to express your appreciation. Or better yet, leave us a review. Such as, the inner loop radio sounds like the burgundy sky just before the sun tucks itself in for the night. Aww. Aww. (laughs) And don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe. Subscribe so you can get inspired, get focused, and get lit. On the inner loop radio. Happy writing. Right on.